Hello, and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast. I'm Chris Salamone from Four Eyes Furniture, and with me as always, Mike Montgomery from Modern Builds. Hey, everybody. Still happy to be here. And Ben Ueda from Homemade Modern. Hi. (laughs) Also still monosyllabic. Today is Thursday, November 16th, otherwise known as National Fast Food Day. Mm. You guys big fast food eaters? I try not to be, but... You know, it's, At it's your, in your heart. You are. It's always tempting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in my heart, deep down. Ben seems like he wouldn't be a fast food guy. Yeah, not. I, I I'm sort of a, only when I travel, and mm-hmm. then it's really only Chipotle, Chick Fil A, or In and Out. See, really I don't even consider any of those three fast food. Yeah, <laughs> just, those are those are fast casual. I think of Chick-fil-A as fast food, but maybe not Chipotle. I agree with yeah, that. Yeah, Chick-fil-A is closest to fast food of those. Yeah. But And Chick-fil-A, I've got to say, is like the vice. I will go to Chick-fil-A every day of the week with no – like, and I will not have qualms about it. <laughs> I was driving from San Francisco to Santa Barbara recently, and I was like getting kind of tired, and I was already – you know, over my quota of caffeine. Mm -hmm. So I was like, ah, so I stopped at, uh, what was it? Like a, I think it was like a Carl's Jr. or Jack in the Box. And I just got like some really disgusting food. (laughs) Uh, Come on, that's good stuff. Yeah, it's just stuff to sort of eat. Those tacos from Jack in the Box, those things are delicious. (laughs) All right, so let me ask you guys this. Of like hardcore fast food places, if you could choose two fast food places that you, those are the only two fast food places you could go the rest of your life. What would what would be your two? And we're we're excluding the fast casual ones. That yeah, I let's go like mentioned. hardcore fast foods, like like, like, the, the, like the major four, right? Your Burger Kings. Do you guys have Taco Bueno? No. Oh, you no. don't have Taco Bueno, Taco Good. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> Is that like the rival to Taco Bell in? I think yeah, Oklahoma? it's like Tex-Mex version of Taco Bell. Okay. It's See, we have Del Taco, which you guys probably don't have Del Taco there. We do. Yeah. Oh, you do? Mm-hmm. Well, it's you better go. than maybe Del I Taco. can move over there. It wouldn't, be, it, it wouldn't be McDonald's. No. It'd probably be Wendy's. Oh, Wendy's is good. Yeah. See, I would I would go with Taco Bueno and then maybe a burger place uh, like Wendy's. Y'all don't have maybe Whataburger. We don't have Whataburger? The hell's that? If In-N-Out count it was yeah, like where count. I lived, that would count. But Whataburger is like the southern version of In-N-Out. Waterburger. That's a no, good name. Water burger. Oh, no water. It's like what a burger. <laughs> okay, what a burger like that. Yeah. I would go for. Actually, I would choose McDonald's just for like nostalgia reasons. I feel like every about six months or so, I'm like, yeah, I need to get some McDonald's. I haven't had McDonald's forever, huh. so I got to get that. And then I'll go Del Taco actually because that's like my that's my lazy man food. That's like I don't want to think about it. Mm. It's super convenient. It's right there. Del bean Taco. Bean burritos. Yeah, I love bean burritos. Yep. Gotta love them. So All right, that's semi- probably enough uh, fast food talk, right? <laughs> the conclusive <laughs> fast food list by Modern Maker Podcast. Let's just wrap this episode there. I think that's a good one. <laughs> yep. No. So uh, what are you guys working on, Mike? Um, this week. I'm going to actually save talking about it because I feel like for the past however, I've been talking kind of a week ahead and putting okay. the video out like a week later than I've been talking about it. So I want to keep things relevant by saying I'm working on a storage solution um, ben, after you made your wall hanging del- or shelf kind of bracket unit, mm-hmm. um, that kind of inspired me. I've had this design for a while of ripping off the IKEA version of like this modular shelf unit that's similar to what you made, Ben. Um, mm-hmm. And I really liked yours, but the only thing is, I think, and I know you did yours because it was like the whole one sheet thing, but I think it could be improved by having metal brackets. I think it would just kind of make everything a bit slimmer. And so that is what I'm doing. Uh, I'll have more to talk about next week. That video will be out in a week or so. This week, though, the entryway actually came out. Came out on Wednesday. So watch that video. Let me know what you think. And that's it. Sorry, guys. I don't have a lot this week. I loved that one. Yeah, it was great, man. It, <laughs> it was, was so good. good. Ben, what uh, do you got going? So I, I actually have a correction. Uh, I... That that shelf thing took more than one sheet. It was oh, like one and a half sheets. Liar! When I actually did, expose. Yeah. When I actually tallied it up, I realized that like because I, I I had gotten two sheets and I had them cut them down mm-hmm. a little bit at Home Depot so that they would they would fit in the car and be easier to carry and stuff. Yeah. And then I realized that I actually mixed in like three half sheets oh. rather than one sheet. Uh, but I, I was processing wood for that and another project at the same time, so it all got mixed up. But when I actually did the drawings and sort of, I'm like, oh no, that's that's one and a half. Yeah. 
Um, so uh, the video for that's up, and I should have the website posts up for that soon. Uh, I've been traveling, so I've just got back to, to Boston yesterday, so I haven't, haven't been building anything. Um, I did, how, however, do work on some smart home uh, projects for Home Depot, and they're sort of going to be added as sort of supplemental sort of how-tos into uh, uh, some of the full website posts uh, for, you know, this plywood shelf thing and, and some other things. But I messed around with like the, the, the Amazon Alexa and then was experimenting using that to sort of control like a smart uh, thermostat and lighting systems. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can have kind of like voice activated stuff. And it's pretty cool. You can you can do some interesting things. Uh, I think that the you know the the of all the things that I experimented with that I liked the most is I installed a security camera from Honeywell, and it's like 150 bucks. But it, it I think it was my favorite thing because it only took like 15 minutes to install both the hardware and the the sort of digital syncing of it. So it pretty much you just plug it in and then you connect it to the Wi-Fi and then you can can monitor the camera with your phone really easily. But what's interesting about it is, uh, so there's a tendency uh, for Amazon packages uh, to sort of disappear off the, the front door. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I installed this so I can sort of see. And what's interesting is that, uh, you know, you don't know when the package was delivered. You just know that it never got there, right? right? But this thing has, has uh, audio sensors and motion sensors. So it records to the cloud, you know, 24 hours a day. But it highlights and tags every time there's movement or noise. Oh, that's oh, smart. Nice. So it's really searchable to see the moments, the day. So you don't have to like, you know, fast forward, watch 24 hours of footage to figure out who stole your, uh, you know, your, 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 the, the, the box you had delivered. You can immediately scroll to the points where there was movement and then just watch those. Gotcha. Um, so it's pretty cool. So I did a video for that on how to install that on my second channel. Uh, it's pretty much just a straightforward unboxing and installation video, uh, but uh, you know, no real sort of creative things. But now that I'm back, uh, I'm getting ready to uh, finish editing a whole bunch of projects that I did for Dwell, and those will be going up on the, the Dwell YouTube channel. And actually, you know, let me interrupt for one second, sure. just because we've gotten a number of questions lately of people asking where like hey i hear you guys talking about those drill videos and i can't find them where are they so they're not live yet they and make no mistake we you would definitely hear about it here when those things go live so no need to worry that you're not finding those release date to be announced that's right Right. but there is an (laughs) there is a placeholder sort of instagram account up for it's called dwell made which is going to be the name of our video series so if you go on instagram look for dwell made and uh go ahead and subscribe to that because uh that's where we'll be do- running a lot of the the, the updates out of yeah um so i've been working on that uh we have quite a few videos already for it i think we have like seven or eight videos done and uh we're editing a few more so uh you'll be hearing i think we'll definitely launch sometime in 2017 but definitely before the the end of the year and once we launch, we're, our plan is to have it as a weekly video series with a, you know, a new project video from either you know, someone from one of the three of us or someone else on my team uh, every single week. And we just want to get like a head start where we have, have a group of videos to where <clears throat> if one week one, one of the three of us didn't produce a video, then we've got kind of a well of videos we can kind of choose from and pick from. Yeah. So really excited about that. Um, other than that, I've just been, you know, traveling around and uh sort of planning out 2018 yeah can't believe it's already here it's uh <laughs> still got a lot to do <laughs> still closing out a lot of uh res- a lot of things that were required me to finish in this sort of calendar year what about you chris so for me um the plywood bed video came out and it did really well like it was the it's actually been the fastest growing video that i've had initially it hit 100,000 in a couple of days, which I've never had a video do that before. Um, So that was really nice. So one thing, I don't know, I don't know if you guys saw it, but Johnny actually posted it on the subreddit for DIY. Uh Uh-oh. And Mm -hmm. man, (laughs) 
<laughs> so much negativity. It was crazy. Like literally almost every single comment, 467 comments. Oh man. So negative, man. They're just like <laughs> ripping me up. Uh, just, oh man. Like it, it this was isn't DIY? Just, you know, if, if you, well, there's that, but, and uh, personal attacks and everything Whoa, in between. But, for real? Hey, I, I, I bring it out of people, man. Is it still on there? Can I find it? Yeah, so okay. that's what I was going to tell people. If you're bored and you need a good laugh, just go read that subreddit. It is classic. But here's the interesting people. So, okay, 467 comments, you know, 98% negative, I would say. But for like all the voting on it, it has over 6,000 votes and 84% upvotes. So it's like, you know, predominantly liked. So it's just another one of those examples of how the, you know, unvocal majorities has a very different opinion than the vocal minority. Um, okay. And it's funny, actually, you know, it, it was so negative that I had no less than like five people write personal messages to me. These are total strangers. And, you know, like, hey, man, I really like what you're doing. You could tell like they felt bad for me <laughs> because of all the negativity. <laughs> so I was like, hey, man, thank, you know, thank you for the compliments. Don't worry about it. I know that's just how people are. You know. So question. Yeah. What was the meanest thing written and what was the most valid critique? Uh, okay, well, here, the funniest one I thought was somebody said that it, it looks like it belonged in a Chipotle. And then somebody <laughs> responded to that and said, no, it would have a metal top on it if it was at Chipotle. Um, yeah. Then that's, that's hardly an insult. No, yeah, I, I thought that one was kind of funny. Um, what were the, the other questions? The meanest and the, the most, most valid? Well, yeah. I mean, that could have been both. I, I guess. So, okay, here's one that... <laughs> It, this is not super negative. It, I mean, maybe just the way it was presented was people had critiques that like, oh, you're wasting wood because you could actually make those beams hollow and then it would be lighter and you would use less wood. And so my my response to that is like, yeah, you could do that. And if you were mass producing it, that would make total sense. Like there's no reason you wouldn't do that if you're mass producing something. If you're making one though, the whole idea of this was first off, we had a couple days, so we had to just bust it out quickly. And second of all, more than like this being a finished look that I really wanted, it was almost just like exploring the idea of that type of joinery, you know, just making the finger joints by, by making every other piece different length. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that, that's what I would say is the most valid critique, but there's a reason that it's not that way. How many sheets of wood do you use? Seven. Seven? So, yeah. yeah, it's, okay, so it's a lot of wood. Of. But it is a bed. It's a big project. Yeah. So, I mean, it's yeah. still... Okay, so if you wanted to make that argument, it's like $350 in material, and it's a pretty substantial bed with a headboard and with two nightstands. So mm-hmm. it's still yeah, you know relatively cheap compared to what you could buy for that price, which I, I, mean, I don't even know. Can you buy a bed for $350? You know, you know what I find who makes those comments like the so i i get that comment a lot so my my uh spiral staircase kind of went viral again on mm-hmm. instagram over the last few weeks it's probably done another like a, a big one of those big like art selector sort of art sort of you know feeds yeah republish it and then like 20 other smaller ones republished after they did yeah um so and that that's the thing too is that people see the stacked nature of the wood and immediately go wasteful right Mm -hmm. like um and they go oh super expensive did this thing and they don't actually do the math of tallying it up versus that like if you were to build box beams to do that one it would look terrible uh it it would just look like the most basic thing ever and it wouldn't have been shared in the first place Mm -hmm. you know and also it wouldn't save as much as people really think is that people like they get a hint of something that's often in reaction to like a visual characteristic. In this case, seeing all the edge grain makes them assume that, that it's stacked, which makes them assume that it's wasteful because they're used to seeing things the other way. But mm-hmm. really the difference is is not that much at all. Right. In the case of the spiral staircase, it's like actually a very materially efficient thing uh, because you can orient the CNC files on 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 the on the project. So I find that the people that often say that are people that only know how to do things in the most efficient way, which means they probably have the the least interesting sort of visual uh, projects. Um, And that kind of was my point, too, of, you know, if you're mass producing it, it makes a lot more sense. Because if you're talking about one piece, like, let's just be super liberal with how much you can save. And let's say that you cut materials in half 
which so okay if you're rounding up because you can't buy a half sheet of plywood you bought four pieces of plywood instead of seven right so you saved 150 dollars one time but how much effort That's, did you go to like figure exactly. out all the different measurements and how to adjust your plan for that so you have your yeah exactly you have your time involved so yeah if you're talking about producing a thousand of these now it makes sense to say okay I'm going to experience some like, like this is the difference between it being a viable and not viable business model. Yeah, but when right. you're making one for what we're doing, it, it's not right. Yeah. No, but I think that what's, what's interesting and the, what's equating to the view numbers. It's like, it's like we've said before, there's way more dining tables, way more small projects than there are big projects. So the things like beds and sofas tend to stand out a little bit and uh, do pretty well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now I got to do a sofa, man. And YouTube loves the engagement, positive or negative. So there you go. Yeah. Well, that was Reddit. Apparently, they love the engagement. <laughs> I know, too. man. I, I, while while y'all were talking, I was reading through the Reddit thread, and man, <laughs> I wanted to hop in and start commenting. I was like, "Y'all sons of bitches." <laughs> you know, it's funny. <laughs> Don't be so mean to Chris. God dang. <laughs> I actually, it's funny. I'll read it. Like when I was reading through it, I noticed like at first it was like funny. I was like getting a kick out of it, kind of. And then like as I was reading more, like I found I found like after five minutes, I was like, "Oh, I'm not laughing anymore." Yeah, I'm just, you're like, like kind of reading this. Like man, coming. people I'm just <laughs> losing my faith in humanity instead. Word. But there was a lot of people messaging back in your defense though so don't feel don't feel like you don't have the support i'm fine with it i mean (laughs) and i'll let the stats speak for themselves of the 84 percent exactly so obviously the you know if you just take comments out of it and just say what do most people think of this the majority of the people liked it yeah there you go suck it haters yeah (laughs) all right what are we talking about this week so i thought that for the topic for tonight we're gonna talk about room for improvement right so uh I think it's sort of a good time of year to do that where we sort of do an inventory of not just the, the things we've produced over, you know, the first most of 2017, but start to look at sort of, you know, where the sort of weaknesses are and uh, what sort of things we think we can improve on as we start to plan out our, our growth in uh, 2018. So basically it's another way to talk about sort of weaknesses and, uh, but not so much in the sort of broad thing. I think it's more the ones that you actually th- think are worthwhile to address. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. And the, the reason why I say that is because it's really easy to go say, okay, here's what I'm not good at. But that doesn't mean you need or it even would be a good idea to address all of those because some of addressing some of them might come at the expense of some strengths. So mm-hmm. I think what I want to focus on is specifically on the things that you're actively trying to get better at and the reasons why you think investing your time to get better at them is going to, you know, have a payback and be better for you overall. Okay, so I guess I can start. One thing that, and I know I've said for a while, is something I want to learn how to do and, and incorporate is just 3D modeling. And that came about this week. Like I mentioned, I'm building this wall shelf unit thing that's all modular and can, basically it's three vertical supports that you mount to the wall. And then you have metal brackets with shelves that you can move up and down with pins. And I'm going to edit that out. (laughs) And each of these brackets are basically just simple metal right angle things that I easily could have either CNC'd if I had one. But if nothing else, I could have 3D modeled and made the templates really quickly and really easily for. Um, Mm. And it's one of those things that I probably should have on this project taken the time learned something that I could have made these templates on in about an hour or two and then print off all these templates in all these different sizes. But I ended up just doing one by hand on paper for a couple of reasons. One, because there's this sort of time factor where I knew I could draw a template by hand. I could measure everything practically because I already had the pieces made and I could just make these templates in about five minutes a piece. Or mm-hmm. I could have taken the maybe an hour, maybe the six hours when I realized I'm really bad at this to actually make them on the computer and print them off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like the one thing I was struggling with with this was it, it, I'm kind of on a time crunch for this project, so I couldn't take the time out to do it. Right. But that's something I really want to do early on in the year because I want to be able to make proper PDF plans where you know I can have exploded views or I can have this angle of that and give people just better plans. So yeah, that's one thing that I could really improve on. So that, that's an interesting one. And that I think that's like a, a great example because in sort of deciding how much time you're going to devote into it, right? And even which modeling tool you're going to pick, uh, you'll need to sort of assess how often you're going to use it, what are the sort of benefits of having better plans and better design, 
So I think that the the decision as you sort of pick software, and, and we've discussed this before with my sort of uh, uh, probably a little bit too aggressive statement of not learning SketchUp. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, we're going to have to do like a video where no. Ben is on one shoulder and I'm on the other shoulder yeah. and we're trying to convince you of what software to use. I actually had somebody from Autodesk reach out about learning Fusion. So there we go. Now I got a guy that I can ask questions to if I have them. So that's good. Right. So I would say if you just wanted those two things <laughs> no. to produce, I think I may have sent them your way. Yeah. Uh, if you just wanted to produce uh, plans and work through dimensions, then a really crappy low-end 3D modeling software like SketchUp will be hey. just fine. No, I mean, for, for, for doing those two things, it would be the He's easiest like, no, thing. He's like, no, I didn't just, I just <laughs> totally just didn't backhand facts. everything about right. SketchUp. <laughs> but that's, that's all it can do, right? Yeah. So you'll invest a certain amount of time to learn it, and it will do exactly those two things well. So, but... It can't really do a lot of things greater than that. Um, it can't really add new types of designs and new possibilities to your sort of repertoire, right? Or, for example, if you want to eventually make like a product, right? Or you come up with an idea to, to turn that and you want to go into digital fabrication and then take the same files that you're using to develop that and you know send over files to uh, different factories either here in the U.S. or overseas so that they can build a prototype, injection mold, or you know, plasma or laser cut it out of metal and develop it, you'll have to remodel it most likely into something that's a little bit more precise and has a little bit more of technical capabilities. You'll also find that just like, you know, uh, you'll end you'll end up sort of keep designing around the sort of tool availability within the software. Mm-hmm. Um, one other thing I should uh, mention is that, you know, last week I was over at the, at the Autodesk Pier 9 space um, and I was meeting with a fusion evangelist, really awesome guy named Taylor, uh, shout out to Taylor. And we're working on th- this sort of marble table and just seeing, you know, I mean, I'm slow with fusion. I'm by no means I'm, I'm struggling with it. It is, it's not the fastest software to learn, but the, the capabilities are pretty infinite. Like there's virtually nothing you couldn't model and eventually make out of it. Um, and you know, learning the level of sort of precision and sort of strategy with the way Taylor was showing me how to construct a model was illuminating, but also really scary. And this is sort of, you know, going into sort of uh, what I need to sort of work on is that I think we're, we're somewhat similar in some ways, Mike, where we're both, we get an idea and we just like go like guns blazing and we just grab a bunch of stuff and we just finish it and it's done. And then we're like, boom. Yeah, I think that comes from the idea of it's like, the two favorite moments I have in a project are when I, the inception of the idea and then seeing it realized the process right. isn't the thing that I really covet very much. So right. yeah. You're, yeah, you're just trying to blow through that as fast as possible. Right. And, I, and I'm, I'm mostly the same way. Uh, so it's like, you know, often like I don't mind wasting a little bit of material. I don't mind uh, making a big mess. I don't mind not putting back every tool because I like the minute I have the idea, I want to get it done, get it out, get it published, and then I'll clean up the big disaster. Right. Um, but I find that like that served me well when I was trying to produce a high volume of content. Um, what I'm seeing now and now more and more is that I have a team that can help me produce a high volume of content. So if I sort of just do what my team can do, I'm not I'm not adding as much value. So I, I'm focusing on more individualized, sort of more complicated or projects that I think are more just uh, a, a better utilization of whatever sort of unique design abilities that I have, right? Um, which also means that if they're going to do things that I haven't done before, that they might require a, a greater degree of sophistication and an investment into more sophisticated tools than the 3D modeling software I'd previously using. So I, before I'd always used a uh, software called FormZ and it's like a, it's an industrial uh, design software. It's not quite as up to date as, uh, uh, as Fusion or SolidWorks or any of those, but certainly light years beyond uh, uh, SketchUp. Don't say it. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's probably like halfway in between SketchUp and Fusion. And 
but it's a no, it's no man's land, right? It's not as easy as SketchUp, and it's not as things. So it's like I'm trying to migrate to you know a, a fusion, and then have that be the you know where I invest the majority of my learning. The other thing that my my tendency is is just trying to be uh, or is to be not very digitally organized. Like uh, I'll just produce a lot of stuff, and then I'll worry that I don't have it backed up, so I'll like archive it three or four times instead of just twice, <laughs> and. So there's a lot of sort of digital waste and sort of confusion in my work process, um, which is fine when it's just me, but becomes a little bit more of a liability when I have a team that I have to sort of interface with. Um, and also it's like, you know, in the past, it's like my first sort of 50 to 100 projects. Um, I didn't do a great job of labeling all the archives. And so now when I'm getting media requests for people that want to syndicate my content, which is you know a big part of how I grow the audience, you know, it, it, I find it takes me a little bit longer than it should to sort of find old files and, and sort of do that. So definitely, you know, for me, the, the big room of improvement is one sort of, you know, biting the bullet and investing in the better uh, uh, software. And then uh, two sort of, uh, you know, enforcing better sort of organizational, especially digital standards, even if they slow me down a little bit. A good example of that is, you know, one of the notes I wrote to myself, because I sort of do like a little self-assessment and, and, and then write like a series of sort of bullet points of things that are going to sort of be my mantras in 2018 of like what I'm not going to do. And one of them is, is I'm never going to put off calls to like customer service, right? So I had these weird pop-up windows keep popping up on one of my uh, Macs and it was just kept asking for the the, the, the password keychain and stuff like that. And there's something kind of buggy about it. Um and I just kept canceling it and they keep popping up. So it'd just be this like little annoying. It's like the digital equivalent of like fruit flies. Uh, <laughs> and I just, it, it would annoy me, slow me down. And then I just move them to the side or cancel them. But then they always come up every time I work it. And so finally I called, you know, uh, Apple support today and it took, you know, 15 minutes of being on the phone and then we solved it. We just had to delete some old things that were uh, uh, causing the problem and now it's gone. And it was like, again, it was that 15 minutes would have saved me annoyances over the last six months. Yeah. But I didn't do that. It, it, it's, you know, there's a tendency of try something. It doesn't work exactly the way you want. And you just move on to something else rather than set aside, fix the tool, recalibrate it, you know, uh, get on the phone with customer support as much as I, that is probably like being on a, on hold on a phone, I feel is like one of the things that drives is it's really hard to get me to lose my temper, but that's like the closest thing that like really like gets me salty. Uh, <laughs> it just feels like, yeah, you just feel like you're treated so dumb and, and uh, it just feels like such a waste of time. And, but you still have to kind of pay attention because all of a sudden they'll come back on the phone and you're like totally paying attention to something else. So yeah, the, the, those are definitely my things. Those improving on this sort of digital organization, yeah, uh, getting better at sort of cam and uh, uh, software and uh, actually using that to sort of drive new types of projects. Couple things. So first, I got to defend SketchUp. So I'm not going to sit here and say what's the best or what's the most powerful or the easiest to learn or whatever. But I will say, with a 3D modeling system or software, everybody wants different things out of it. So the thing that I love about SketchUp is that it works in a way that I think. So it works really well for me. And I have no doubt that it's made me a better woodworker and a better designer. And a better person. No, I'm kidding. That's right. A better husband. <laughs> right. A better father. <laughs> Thanks, SketchUp. All to you. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, I was drinking pretty heavily before I found SketchUp <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. No, no. But it, it really has made me a lot better of a designer, I think. I mean, obviously, I don't know because there's not an alternate reality where I learned to design without it. But you know, when I started, I started with it. And so maybe I think that way because that's what I learned on. You know, I can't say for sure, but I find it very intuitive and it helps me to quickly get to a finalized product and to an idea. And I'm sure there's a ton of validity in what Ben is saying. It, you know, if you are looking to make a 3D project and, and that's your purpose for modeling, then yeah, probably things like Fusion right now, you know, it was invented in a time where that was in mind. So from day one, it, it, it was built with that in mind. And, you know, maybe SketchUp doesn't have that as much. And I don't know if they're going to be doing things to answer that question or whatever. But 
it is a good tool for me personally, and I'm sure it would be for a lot of other people out there. Um, other than that, so what you guys were talking about, I kept thinking about jigs, like, and, and it's kind of like, you know, you hear about delayed gratification. Uh-huh. It's almost like delayed efficiencies. So yeah, it yeah. is hard to like say, I'm going to, I'm going to spend the time and I'm going to be less efficient over the course of the next day, but it'll make me more efficient over the course of the next year. And you know, where's that break even point? You have to like find that break even point. Maybe that helps you justify when you want to take the time to, to take the time to learn something new instead of just powering through it. And I, I've, I'm actually the same way as you, Mike and Ben, where, and I think probably a lot of people are, where it's the inception and then the seeing the, the completed project. Those are the right. two fun parts. And the, there, there are times where you can find enjoyment during like the actual building process. But for the most part, I, I find myself just like trying not to screw it up during those parts. <laughs> and it's like, you know, you, you have the idea and it's now, how can I get it into a physical object and screw it up the least amount possible? And that's why I'm always like a little bit anxious whenever I'm like going into a build and I always want to make sure I have all my ducks in a row. And, and those are the times where you actually do see that benefit of the delayed efficiencies of, of spending that time to give yourself better tools to be able to make a better project. So whether that's making jigs or Mike, whether that's learning a 3d modeling system so that you go into a project with more accuracy. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's interesting. You brought up jigs cause that's, that's something, something I don't particularly enjoy investing time into. And mm-hmm. I was thinking about this. So I, I just got back from traveling and whenever I, I travel on trips like this, like it, it's important that I go and meet with the different businesses and, and people that I'm meeting with because they allow me to sign new contracts, uh, learn new techniques. Uh, you know, sitting one on one with somebody that's an expert in fusion, I learned way more in that like you know two hour session than I would probably watching you know ten hours worth of YouTube videos because I could ask him, okay, right. well, why do you do it this way? Why this way? Why this? Why this strategy versus something else? Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of meeting with new sort of business uh, sponsors and stuff like that, I'm able to really outline uh, a broader version of the partnership, which is certainly great for the financial bottom line. Um, you know, meeting with other sort of creatives, you, know, you can sort of share ideas and, and learn a bunch really fast. So hugely valuable to do all these things. But my primary biased sort of view of progress for myself is so equated to either YouTube numbers or uh, to physically completing projects, right? I would say probably more so to completing projects. I have this whole list of project ideas. I'm always adding to it. And the more I click off of those uh, or check off the, that list, the more sort of productive I feel. Mm-hmm. But right. so the problem isn't like me being necessarily more efficient when I travel. The problem is really me just seeing those things as equal, if not greater to than those other things. So it's not really a flaw in schedule. It's a flaw in my logic of sort of analyzing the value of my own actions, right? Right. And and actually actively appreciating those things as like when they're accomplished. So even if I spend a day sort of traveling around, driving and going to three meetings, but there's like, they aren't perfectly scheduled. So there's downtime in between where I can't really get anything big done. If those meetings were important, that's way more valuable of a day in terms of progressing my overall agenda than just you know, knocking out another table project or another bed or another sofa. Um, even though those are the, the, you know, those trigger my own sort of sense of progress and reward more aggressively than these things that feel a little bit more abstract. Um, I was going to say, I think it's just that, you know, the, the video is the end result, but there's just so many things that go on behind the scenes to get to that point. And it's, in a way you can, yeah, when you spend the time doing those things, you feel in a way like, oh, I didn't get anything done because I don't have anything that I can show outwardly to people for, you know, whatever labor or whatever time I invested today. But that is something that I do think about, like even with editing, you know, I'll try to make, it's kind of like a jig for editing where you make, you know, like little animations that you can just like throw on the video instead of animating it every time you have to new, do a new video, which is stuff that I used to do in the beginning. I still do that. <laughs> you, you gotta like do all like, of my intros and everything. I build it from scratch every, for every episode. I, I used to do that. And then, I mean, like I just, every day I'll try to do something yeah. that it'll at least like, if, if anything, maybe it's just like for my 
my conscience or whatever to feel like I made some progress in some way. And, you know, I can't be out building every day. And obviously I don't even put up a video, you know, every, not even every two weeks. It's usually like every three weeks. So I try to like do little things to help make me more efficient so that it's like, okay, now when I do have that project done and I am ready to edit that video, like I'm spending less time doing that because I laid the groundwork doing it. So I I always do try to, even though it's hard to do, I try to like really focus on doing those things and make sure that I'm doing them. Yeah. Conversation killer. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, well, back, back to jigs. Cause I, I don't really f- fully sort of, uh, yeah, jigs. I think my avoidance of jigs is for sort of two, two reasons. One, like if I pre-make like a, like a table saw sled or something like that, mm-hmm. one, it's like, you know, it doesn't feel like a standalone things. I'm, I'm not really going to be someone that publishes like a lot of like shop furniture or stuff like that, even though yeah, those right. are probably the videos I actually watch the most. Right. Um, <laughs> one, because I feel like it's, you know, it's so insider baseball. Um, mm-hmm. And then two, it's just because like, I also, I feel like anytime you use it, you kind of have to explain it or introduce it, especially to the more beginner audience. Um, right. And I'm I'm more interested in that audience than I am the sort of experts because uh, well there's more beginners and also the experts already kind of know, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and uh, so yeah so that's that's why I've uh, avoided them. But I think probably the thing that that would make sense would just be really efficient sort of versions of material storage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know if if you have things more more accessible and well organized, so one you find the things that you are looking for whenever you need them, uh, that can certainly sort of improve uh, efficiency. But, you know, there's a a few different types of efficiency. And I think the obvious one is just, you know, you know, streamlining workflow and processes so that you can produce more of what you're already producing. Right. Which means, but I think the, 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 the kind of efficiency I'm looking forward is, improving the things that aren't inventive so that you have time to take risk to do the things that are more inventive. So it's not so much that I don't want to produce because we could, I could keep hiring more people and producing things till the point where I was publishing a video every day. Like it's, it's possible, right? It would just have to streamline the efficiency of onboarding new sponsors, add more people like Jamie and Jesse, um, uh, you know, and just have a really clear way of communicating uh, and, and building this sort of sales pipeline. So I had all the sponsors lined up, videos organized for them, and just keep slotting them into it. Totally feasible to do. Um, but there'd be limits on that kind of efficiency. At some point, that publishing frequency would start to reduce the value ver- uh, of of uh, of that publishing type, yeah. right? So what, I, what I'd rather try to do is improve the efficiency of publishing add additional resources like Jesse and Jamie so that I can then try new types of projects that I haven't tried before. Either bigger projects, smaller projects, more experimental in terms of material or technique. Um, so I can kind of see if there's big chunks to be gained rather than just trying to keep working and grinding to the point of diminishing returns, right? Because diminishing returns might not actually be just diminishing returns. It might eventually be diminishing what I've already established um, by sort of overworking it. So for me, it's like I, I want to use the efficiency not to sort of maximize in a linear path what I'm currently doing, but to sort of create the openings where I can maintain the current progress, but do experiments that don't have to produce results on the first try to hopefully open up new opportunities where either it's new project types, new design types, new media partnerships, et cetera. Mm -hmm. You know, one last thing on the, just to go back to the topic of jigs, I think Ben, actually the way that you do it within your projects makes sense for the types of projects that you do. Um, You know, I don't, yeah, like something like a crosscut sled, like it just wouldn't really fit in your videos that well it's like another thing to explain like you were saying but you do do a lot of one-off jigs in your videos you know where maybe you know like the fire pit or something like that where you're making something that holds the brackets at this perfect repeatable angle so that you can weld everything together so it's kind of these like jigs that really just make sense for this one project and they're usually done in a way where it's like quick and you know if you were going to be again like mass producing these you'd probably do it in a different way but it makes total sense for if you're just some person that wants to make this one project 
you know, you can spend a couple minutes making this tool for yourself that's going to help make this project easier. Yes, for sure. Boom. That's the way to do it. Boom. Because <laughs> then you don't have that's to explain to every time you use the jig, like, this is what the jig is. If you want to learn yeah. about this jig, go watch this video or, like, try and... Right, it's just a... Yeah. It's just a natural fit right into exactly what the project is about. Yeah. yeah. The one thing I've always thought is if like uh, potentially sort of figuring out like a good sort of making my own track saw or something like that or, or making some mm-hmm. sort of version of that. Right. I've never been quite satisfied with the ones uh, on the market. That, that being said, I haven't tried them all. Um, I either find them, they're a little priced out of the beginner or uh, uh not significantly better than just clamping a straight piece of something to something else. That's what I was, that was literally, I was waiting for you to finish so I could just say that is like, I've got a couple of those just like clamping straight edge things, Mm -hmm. but I don't use them. I just have a really straight piece of plywood that I just clamp to everything. It's just as fast. And I know it because those, those clamping straight edges, that's just what I'm going to call them. Now you can use with a router or a circular saw or anything. Mm -hmm. They have a weird tendency because they clamp from one end they have a weird tendency to try and get out of square just a little bit, either on the far end or on the close end, depending on what side you're kind of giving priority to making sure stays in place. Right. But if you have oh, but if you have a piece of wood, you can clamp one end, make sure it's exactly where it needs to be, then go and clamp the other with a straight edge so that you always know it's being square. So then um, I've never yeah. used one of those things. So would you have to essentially, if you wanted to make sure that it was staying straight, you'd have to go put a separate clamp on the other end to ensure that? Um... I don't know. So I got one. Mine was from Harbor Freight, the clamping straight edge thing. Mm-hmm. And it just had a tendency to like, whenever I clamped it down, it would just have a tendency to try and like wiggle to the left or to the right, maybe a 16th or a 32nd. Like once you inch. got to the other end and you were putting pressure yeah, on it. From the far end. Right. Exactly. And so it was just that thing where it was like, I can just, I can just use a piece of plywood and a couple F clamps and it's just as fast. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's like it's kind of like with, like with some table saws. Like we had one at my old wood shop in college, mm-hmm. where you would line up the the fence perfectly, and then when you clamped it down, it would the clamping process would yes. always yeah. jump <laughs> it like not quite a sixteenth, like maybe like a thirty second yeah, yeah, yeah. of an inch, like exactly. over. But it's enough. But it's enough to where, especially like on a table saw, if it's clamping in, and then it's just like putting pressure on the blade, and it's making it, it's just making things tougher. So. Sometimes just keeping things super rudimentary yeah, is actually it, it, a little easier. Yeah, there's such a fine line between, like, the, the you know, where the jump and complication actually provides real value, mm-hmm. right? So we know that it's really helpful to be able to cut straight lines that you're really confident in their squareness. Um, but the sort of, you know, if, if you go up to sort of Festool quality, that seems to do an excellent job of that, right? Like that people love that track saw mm-hmm. uh, and, and have great results of it. I think that, and on the flip side, you know, when you're, you're sort of working with more entry level power tools and clamping a, you know, just a straight piece of plywood, or I always like to get like a, like a piece of MDF or vinyl trim. Um, oh yeah. They tend to be have a pretty straight edge to them. Uh, the vinyl can actually warp though if it gets too hot, and you leave it in like a barn or, or, or someplace that, um, or even like a, a piece of aluminum uh, can make a really nice straight edge. So, uh, so you have like the two ends of the spectrum, right? Like the the Festool track saw, and then like the the entry level circular saw with like a clamped on straight edge. Where I think is often the part that I'm not interested in is that sort of middle sort of things where it's adding a little bit more complication but not significantly greater value than the simplest version which is just clamping the straight edge down it's just like a halfway solution right and you know this conversation reminds me of one i was listening to the the making it guys and they were talking about those things the episode titled robots and they were talking about the some of the new uh, CNC uh, kind of technology, particularly the Goliath and the Shaper. You know, th- those tools to me, my, I, I've you know s- expressed my skepticisms uh, of those before, right? So on the surface, uh, and it, that being said, I think they're both awesome pieces of technology and I'm super excited that they exist and somebody, you know, a team of people spent the time sort of innovating and they're a sign of what's to come. But why I'm not particularly interested in putting money down to obtain one of them is because I kind of think they're in that middle category 
where they're adding some capabilities, but with just enough still liabilities that the cheaper kind of simpler, slightly more labor intensive way is more, more desirable. Or on the flip side, if you did want a little bit more capability, you would just get the really expensive one and, and get it perfect all the way. So my, my sense is that there's still in a little bit of the in-between kind of not so useful, or at least for, for what I'm doing kind of phase. And, you know, uh, I was talking to uh, Zach Kaplan um, from Inventables recently. He's the, the founder and CEO of Inventables. I said, I bet you I know something that annoys you. <laughs> uh, and he's like, what? I'm like, I bet you people come up to you all the time and say, oh, are you scared of these, are these uh, machines? And because I know Zach, and I know he's like really enthusiastic about him. He's like, no, no, I'm excited for that. Like, I, I'm thinking about getting some. And what's interesting is when people look on the outside and they see something new coming, they always say, oh, this is going to replace that. This is, I don't need a CNC because this thing's small and it can have no boundaries for the work surface in the case of the Goliath, which is like a remote control car CNC. Mm-hmm. But that would be like the same logic if like table saws came first and then a circular saw came along and people would be like, oh, nobody <laughs> needs a table saw anymore because now you have a circular saw, right. which does the same thing, but with more freedom and takes up less space so why would anyone buy a table saw right. and if you think about it there a table saw and a circular saw are much closer than what like uh you know a gantry based cnc machine is to one of those remote control cnc machines but yet people without a lot of vision uh tend to see those be oh that's it those are all gone mm-hmm. not not quite so fast um but uh no, I, I think that you know that you know what we were talking about just with like jigs and sort of where you're putting time and resources and even to the overall thing of where you're focusing on improving is is related in some ways because I'm a firm believer that you should double down on your strengths, not try to be the most perfectly well-rounded person, right? Yeah, I because because for me to get even better, you know, for me to add new tools like cut using a water jet or welding and those kind of things they're going to magnify my sort of ability to rapid design things. Whereas if I just get, try to get really organized, but don't invest in learning new techniques like welding or stone cutting or these kind of things, my, my, my plans may get better, but that's not really magnifying what I'm good at. That's actually bringing me more closer to what other people are probably better at than me. Um, so when I look at it in terms of sort of differentiation, uh, I do want to improve on things, but I want to improve on the things that are going to have a sort of a multiplying effect, not the things that are just going to make me like, you know, 3% more efficient. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think to go back to the point you were making about, um, wait, what were you saying? Hang on. I had my thought and then, and then, well, then we went off on the CNC machines, but when you were talking about the track saws, straight line rips, no track saws, when you were talking about that, um, I think that, and I think we've talked about this before, just the idea of, I'll, I'll say good enough. Uh-huh. It's not, it, it, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. So, you know, if you're selling $5,000 piece of furniture and like, then like little tiny gaps and all those things matter. But for Ben, do those matter for his videos at the end of the day? Like, you know, if he makes something that has a 16th of an inch gap because he was doing it in a faster way that isn't as accurate, is that going to make or break his video? Yeah, the answer is no. The answer was no. <laughs> yeah. He's like, both Actually, of you yes. failed. The answer no. was no. You <laughs> were on yes. the clock. No. <laughs> the correct answer. No, yeah. I mean, so it just doesn't make sense for what you're doing yeah. in a lot of ways. So the, the, those tools... And I have, we've talked about this before, you know, the idea of this is the best tool doesn't exist because it's, this is the best tool for you. So, you know, maybe the difference between spending $80 on a circular saw and a piece of plywood or spending $900 on a whole Festool setup, if you're selling a bunch of expensive furniture, like that $900 doesn't matter and you're going to have a better end result. Who cares? You get the thing that has the best end result for yeah. Ben. It, it just makes him less relatable to people by having that and whatever little efficiency or, or better end result that he gets from it means nothing. Hmm. So it's not the best tool for him. You know what might work? Something I might 
should maybe do is one of those, they call them door boards. It's where you get like an eighth inch sheet of plywood, then maybe a quarter inch of MDF. And you make one mm-hmm. of those mm-hmm. like cross cut straight line things like we're talking about. Yeah. Essentially like turning your circo saw into a track saw. Maybe right. I should make a couple of those at a couple different lengths. Because whenever you're using like a piece of plywood for your straight edge, it works really easily with my table saw because it's exactly four inches from the edge of the of the bed of the circular saw to where the blade is cutting. Mm-hmm. So if I need to make a 16-inch cross cut, I just measure to 12 inches, and then I, I, I lay my board on those 12-inch marks. Right. So maybe for someone else that doesn't have an exactly four-inch bed on their circular saw, one of those door beds, or one of those door boards would make sense. But now that I'm even thinking about it, I don't think that it would add any more efficiency because I would still be measuring from 16 inches on the on each side of the board, then putting down my then putting down my track. I think it could add efficiencies because what that would let you do is it lets you okay. So say you were drawing a line, you struck a line on a piece that you needed to cut, and you don't know how many inches it is, and so you just reference something, you make the line, and then you take the measurement, and it's some measurement that's like so okay. precise that you can't even calculate it. Now you don't <laughs> even have to measure because you have that line and now because of that doorboard thing, you know right where your blade is going to hit. So now you can just lay it down there on your line and make the cut. But to that argument, I can strike my line and then just get a ruler and measure four inches off that line. Just relative yeah, measurement. I Which is what yeah. I, like, I'm just saying that's what I do now. And it's kind of weird. I mean, I can t- I well, have one f- that I made for my router. It's basically mm-hmm. out of plywood. It's I basically just made a T so that's at 90 degrees so I can stick it on the edge of a piece of plywood and I know if I want to like route a dado or something it's going to be perfectly perpendicular. And I routed into it so that I can see right where the bit is going to end up hitting the wood. Like so it that. is kind of nice because then you can just say like, "Okay, it's lined up. I don't have to even measure anything and I know I know right where it's going to cut." That's that's where I see the benefit is like the router, the distance between the edge of your bed to where the blade is, blade mm-hmm. being the router bit, is totally dependent on the thickness of your bit, all kinds of stuff, right? Because if you put a quarter inch yeah. bit, it's going to be yes. different from the edge of the bed than a three quarter inch bit. So right. I definitely see the benefit there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I, I think the... like. I hardly use a, a table saw, and part of the reason why is because I keep the table saw stored when when I'm working on uh, at my sort of uh, at my loft, and so I, you know, it's not just the efficiency of the table saw; it's the time to sort of bring right. it out, set it up, plug it in, pull the material out to it, put it away. So if I ever got like a a, a really big, well, it's just an interesting thought about thinking about efficiency. So if I ever got like a you know the huge sort of warehouse type shop. I think the way I would probably, what I'd probably do is invest in a panel saw and then I'd make my plywood storage lined up with that. To where it comes right off the rack onto the saw. Right. Because I would think, I'd want to think about the overall efficiency, right? Because even if you have like a really good table saw with all that set up and and your plywood's over stored somewhere else vertically, you want to fact, the time isn't to make the cuts. The time is to pick the material up, process it. And then move on to the next step, right? So shortening the sort of time or distance or even the the lifting process or not having to wait for another person to help stabilize a corner or set up roller stands all improves the efficiency in addition to just setting the distance between the blade and the guide. Um, So I I think I would try to focus like sort of on a a slightly sort of more holistic type of of sort of things where if I am going to invest into that infrastructure, I want to be really, I want to be way, way faster. So it's about organizing the storage of the material and the likely type of first step processing all into one sort of system. Yeah. What are you obsessed with? I don't think I've talked about Mario Odyssey. Mario guys, Odyssey. Oh man. Is that another, so good. Is that a Switch so game? So good. It's a Switch game. <laughs> and I would say it's the best Mario game that I played since Mario 64. Whoa. So good. If you're a fan at all of Mario, I think that this is a system seller. So go buy yourself a Switch. Give yourself a little early Christmas present. Get that Mario Odyssey and love life. Cool. I'll go next. So <laughs> this is almost more of a question for you guys. So I went and saw that movie uh, Thor Ragnarok, the new Marvel one. Uh huh. Just fun. It was very funny. But uh, I was listening to the sound effects were very reminiscent of like Stranger Things, like that. How would you describe? Have you guys seen Stranger Things? Yeah. Yeah. Like very, very synth, like kind of synth synth-y? heavy. Yeah. 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 Synth based. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Like eighties synth. Yeah. That is that how you describe it? Because I'll roll in Juno. Yeah. I think like if Eight I ever do a project with like kind of like bright colors or like 
kind of neon-y and like sharp angles. Like I kind of want to use that kind of stuff as the background. But what would I, <laughs> how would I search for that kind of music? Would I just look 80s synthy? <laughs> hmm. Yeah, maybe. Do like 80s synth sound effects or background music. Yeah. I don't know, because then I feel like you're going to get a bunch you're of You're probably like going to get more pop. upbeat type yeah. stuff, yeah. Bunch of yeah, like, so yeah. I feel yeah. like for my, my like projects where I use a laser cutter, like that would make sense as like, that's <laughs> yeah. like the sound background. <laughs> yeah, me and Michael come up with something for you. Yeah, yeah that, we'll that very kind of like Tron type of yeah. But so that was my thought, and yeah, the movie was great and it was funny. It was the funniest cool. of the Marvel movies. I haven't watched a Marvel movie in a long time. Um, I am going to go with two things. One, the the duo called No Worries, which is Anderson Pack. And then uh, the producer Knowledge. It's like a it's a little thing that they collaborate on. Anyways, they released an album called Yes Laud L A W D Laud. Uh, they're putting out a remix to that album. So Knowledge is like the producer, and he's great. He makes killer beats, and so he's taking all of these songs that he's produced beats for, scrapped the old beats, and made new beats for the songs. Um, hmm. That comes out on the seventeenth. So I'm gonna assume it'll be my obsession, even though it comes out on Friday. So check that out. I told you I met Anderson when he was touring with Tokyo Monster. Yeah, that that's that's killer because he's definitely in my top ten. That that would have been awesome. Yeah, he's 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 awesome. Yeah, and then uh, one other quick shout out. I want to say Laura Kampf, cool new episode on your tiny house trailer. Good job. And then the last thing is, damn, what was it, Laura? Uh, I'm sorry. Let me let me find it again. It was a YouTube channel. That okay. I liked. It is called Four Eyes Furniture. Four Eyes Furniture. The guy's great. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't mind listening to a guy ramble for ten minutes about his ideas, you don't mind <laughs> this American Life type vocals. <laughs> Check him out. Oh, here it is. <clears throat> and then the last thing I wanted to mention is a YouTube channel called Good Mythical Morning, um, which oh, yeah. is something that's existed forever. Basically, as long as the internet has existed, I think. But it's, <laughs> but it's like the comedy duo, uh, another duo, Rhett and Link. They, it's just like a every weekday they come out with a new episode. You know, episodes would be something like Will It Casserole, and so they yeah. basically Will try and throw in weird ingredients and see if you can make a good casserole out of it, or other weird things like that. But this new season that they started a week or two ago is structured like. Kind of like a late night show. So every day they put out four episodes that are meant to be played, uh, you know, one after the other. So they're like five minute, seven minute episodes that kind of combine to make what would be like a 22 minute TV episode. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's the first thing I've ever seen like that structured on YouTube. So I just wanted to shout that out because I think it's really cool. So each one would be, you know, season, whatever season they're on. Let's just say season nine, episode one. Then it would be season nine, episode 1.2. And then okay. point three and point four, um, and they do that, you know, each day of the week. And it's just, I don't know. I think it's cool. Uh, I think it's a neat look at like what the structure of YouTube going into the future could be with more traditional content. So, I don't know. I just wanted to shout it out. I think it's cool. That's interesting. Like, I wonder how many, how many people work on that. I wonder. It's got to be a full, huge staff. I looked at the credits for one episode, and you know, it starts, you know, Rhett writer link writer blah 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 then it goes down the list of like producers and writers and creative directors and camera operators and there's a list of like 20 people which is insane so i mean really it's like it's like instead of replacing tv youtube will just become tv exactly yeah they're just but in a way it's better than tv because it's structured the way people watch content now where it's like instead of like i don't want to it's like the late night show. I don't. I'm not going to sit down and watch the Jimmy Fallon Tonight Show for an hour just because mm-hmm. I've got. Not to say I have better things to do with my time because I waste plenty of time, but still, it's just like I'm not going to sit down and do it and sit through all those commercials and all that. So, like, I just if something interesting scrolls up on my YouTube suggestions and it happens to be from right. Jimmy Fallon, I'll watch that, and then maybe I'll watch one or two other things. Um, right, I'm sure more people consume the late night people on YouTube than they do on TV at this point. I have to imagine, yeah. So I just think it's cool that they're basically just like looking at the late night show structure and saying like, okay, cool. Now how do we make it perform or maybe not perform, but how do we structure this perfectly for YouTube? And I think they're, I don't know if they are doing that, but I just like that they're making an effort at it. So it's cool. Cool. There we go. 
Should we wrap it up? Let's do it. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure and give us a five-star review. We've seen a couple people this week give us some, so give us some more. We're on a roll. We appreciate it. It lets the podcast know, or the podcast app know that we're a good podcast and that they suggest it should. Ooh, golly. That we're a good Thank podcast you guys for listening. where we speak well. <laughs> golly, I know. I'm just going to redo the whole thing. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, <laughs> Chris, do the outro. All right. So thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Go ahead and give us one of those five-star reviews. We've had a few people send us a few five-star reviews recently. So we've got some momentum built up and we want to keep that going. So oh, for sure. make yeah. sure you do that. It lets the podcast app know that we're something that people should be listening to. So anything you can do for us, we appreciate. Also, don't forget, we've had a few people respond already, but we put up that survey. Um, we still have it linked about Patreon. We have it linked on our Instagram account, as well as if you go to... Or modernmakerpodcast.com forward slash survey. Right. So if, you, if, if that's something you would be interested, go over there, fill that out. Let us know what you'd like to see. Uh, other than that, I guess we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks, Chris. I'm so tongue-tied today. It's insane.